Hello and welcome to another episode of the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine podcast. YJBM is a PubMed-indexed quarterly journal edited by the Yale medical, graduate, and professional students and peer-reviewed by experts in the field of biology and medicine. Our August episode is devoted to YJBM's June 2019 issue on biological clocks and cycles, which you can find on YJBM's website or on PubMed. I am your host, Wei Ng, a second-year PhD student in microbiology, and I'm your co-host, Hua Chi Li, a second-year Master's of Public Health student in chronic disease EPI. And with us today is Dr. Xiaoyong Yang, an Associate Professor of Comparative Medicine and of Cellular and Molecular Physiology at Yale University School of Medicine. Dr. Yang, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. To start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your academic background? I've been at Yale for 10 years. Um, I'm now a social professor uh, of Yale Medical School. And and I, uh, I got my uh, training uh, primarily in China. I uh, graduated from Nankai and the Peking University, got a master's degree in Peking University. Then I moved to uh, U.S., uh, got my PhD from Uni- University of Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, then I did my postdoc training with Ron Evans at Salkin Institute in San Diego. Uh, then I started my independent position here at Yale. Perfect. Um, so how did you get interested studying biological clocks, and what exactly is it about them that you are interested in? It's kind of traced back to the time when I was a graduate student, and uh, by that time, I took a, a, a journal club uh, directed by Tim Hans and at UAB, who was uh, uh, the expert in gene regulation. Uh, by that time, later, uh, uh, people start to figure out uh, clone the clock components uh, in fly and uh, uh, mouse uh, and later on human being. So then start to piece together the how different clock proteins work together. Uh, it turned to be the feedback loop uh, that uh, that link the clockwork. Uh, that's uh, held for true both in uh, the uh, C. elegans uh, fly and also their the mammals. So uh, I was struck by the this uh, simplicity and the elegancy of uh, how nature designed the clock. So that's how I got started. Very cool. So I know the focus of your research is largely on wakefulness, appetite, and metabolism. And so from what I read, circadian rhythms are largely affected by environmental cues like light and temperature. So why is this kind of coordination important? Essentially, why is it important to coordinate metabolic processes with environmental cues? I'm really curious about all the uh, aspect uh, of a second rhythm, uh, which you mentioned. Uh, my research particularly focuses on the, uh, uh, how like, what you eat and when you eat uh, impact the, the body's circadian rhythm and how the circadian clock uh, in different parts of the body uh, regulate uh, different metabolic processes. Uh, this coordination of uh, metabolic processes uh, to uh, with the environmental cues is uh, ex- extremely important because the body needs to maintain the balance of energy in, energy out. Uh, so in doing so, the different organ uh, have to play uh, the work together. Uh, they play a different part of the role, but they work to- together uh, to uh, achieve like uh, the overall the well-being of our body. Can you 
give us a high-level overview of the field of research on circadian rhythms and how your current research and appetite plays into this? It's probably uh, both are tough questions, so I'll leave it either to answer the first one. So I think that current circadian rhythm research field, we know pretty well how the molecular clock works, uh, how the, what they call the clock machinery works. And however, we still don't know much about uh, uh, the coordination of a different uh, clock in different tissue. And so, uh, for example, like the two cell paper published in just last month, what they show was uh, the, the clock in liver and the skin. They are self-sustained. They're really, you don't need other uh, you don't clock in other part of the body to really to to how the uh, liver clock works. So there was a kind of come to the big surprise. If people always think there was a, a clock in the brain called what they call the central clock, control the different peripheral clock in different tissues. But uh, this kind of uh, the paradigm is starting to be challenged. So so I think overall the field still need to better understand their, how like a certain clock in the different cell type in the same tissue they coordinate and how like a different circadian clock machinery in different tissue, how they coordinate. And so that was a still come with a lot of surprise, which uh, we, I'm expecting continue uh, to come their uh, their surprises. Mm-hmm. So second question. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, for the second question, so uh, yeah, so that's uh, we all care so much about uh, our appetite, and so uh, that was a uh, so. The classic view of appetite was controlled by the hormones. Uh, for example, like uh, there, uh, there's a hunger hormone called ghrelin secreted from gut that act on the brain to activate the, the hunger neuron, which I talk about. It's called HGRP neuron. And I should mention this enzyme called organic transfer OGT is critical control a role to send the hunger signal by sends the ghrelin signal. Uh, to control the hunger response, uh, and, and also the the uh, the other neuron, uh, the other hormones called satiety uh, hormones, uh, like uh, leptin and insulin, they act on their, uh, their the, the different type of neurons uh, in the brain to control satiety response. Uh, so, however, like uh, the appetite. Is controlled by much more complex. Uh, there are many more hormones, many even metabolites. Uh, that's also the critical to control the appetite. Uh, so, which, for example, with we uh, recently we show that was a uh, there uh, the the tissue can control appetite by a totally different pathway. Uh, it turns out that adipose tissue can uh, produce like a, there's a, the lipid molecule 
called anandamide. Uh, that active a totally different pathway uh, called endocannabinoid system that uh, act on the brain to control appetite. So that's what really is their, uh, their internal appetite control. There's a, their, the new molecule start to add in that can control appetite. And uh, there's a new cell type, new tissues they start to add in to control appetite. For example, inflammation. You know, of course, inflammation. We, uh, in uh, we, you know, uh, we usually lose the appetite after we got sick, got fever. So how inflammation affect appetite? Still, we don't know. So that was a a, a lot of question mark on the in terms of uh, the mechanism, a cellular mechanism, and uh, uh, the. Uh, the neuronal circuitry that control the appetite. I guess also, how did that evolve uh, in terms of the hormonal view of everything into looking specifically at the relationship between this and circadian rhythm? So that was a. Uh, uh, so we don't know yet. Uh, it's really the, whether the hormone is important to control the clock. Uh, so that's what we don't know. And I think there'd be uh, people, that's one hypothesis. Uh, there was a, uh, the, in the uh, previous study, uh, back to maybe 20 years ago, they showed a stress hormone called glucocorticoid uh, can control the clock, uh, some liver, uh, clock in the liver. So, but uh, overall, like, uh, uh, What's really the the the, the cues that really control the uh, their different type of clock in different tissues? Uh, we don't have any consensus about that. So many people will think that even like body temperature is a critical cue to control the circadian clock in different type in different part of the body. And also people may think that the physical activity is important. And uh, what uh, we are study uh, is whether uh, what you eat and when you eat can affect uh, some tissue clocks. Uh, that's a, uh, yeah, so that's a, the area which we need a lot more attention. So what do we know so far about how what you eat and when you eat affect clocks in different tissues? In terms of different tissues, so because they're the different tissue, they process uh, the diet in different manner. Uh, uh, for example, the, the, the sugar. Uh, when we have sugar, is a uh, uh, we primarily quickly deposit in the liver and in the muscle in the edible tissue. So that was a uh, that's what a, one of few uh, it can be easily to absorb, easily to easily store in different tissues. Uh, so. Uh, so, so some other diet, like uh, whether like a protein diet, like in ketogenic diet, they probably process in the uh, in different tissue in different manner. But whether the different diet really affect the circadian clock in different way. So, which we just started to understand that. Um, uh, that's uh, last year. There's, there's, a, there's two cell paper actually. They, they talk about the ketogenic diet. They regulate the tissue clock in very distinct manner compared to uh, normal diet. Uh, 
So the when you eat is is also a very interesting question because there, uh, it's a people always have three meal a day usually, uh, but there's a recently human study they show uh, there's actually two meal a day. This actually you really can boost your second clock, maintain metabolic health, and uh, this would be well appreciated in the in the study in the in the mouse in the in the rodents. Uh, so for example, the study in the mouse is show like a. If you give the animal the same amount of a high-fi diet, uh, if you give them, let them have the free access to the high-fi diet, they have a lot of metabolic problems, have obesity, diabetes. However, if you give the high-fi diet only in restricted time of the day, they eat the same amount, but they're perfectly healthy. So that uh, tell you like a not only what you eat, how much you eat, when you eat, it had a major impact on second clock and the metabolic homeostasis. That's actually really cool. I've been hearing a lot actually lately of intermittent fasting as well as calorie restriction. Do you think that also plays a little bit into this? Yes, we believe that surely play a role. So that was a, uh, that's a, a two question. One is the, the amount of calorie uh, you have, uh, that's, a, that's very important. So that was a, their, their calorie restriction had the impact on second clock that being there to start to be appreciated. And uh, there's a, a, a lot of interest to show because we know like a calorie restriction can increase the lifespan, whether with a role second clock, that the immediate calorie restriction and the lifespan extension, that's a, uh, actually, the one of the important question uh, my lab also interested in asking. Um, so, intermittent fasting is another paradigm. It's uh, like uh, you eat a lot one day, you you know starve the other day. So that's uh, it's really the being known is really really help. Uh, at least a molecular level, this really boosts your second clock. And it was beneficial to uh, to metabolic health. Um, so you mentioned that you know what you eat and when you eat both influence uh, sort of your ultimate metabolic state. Um, what sort of mechanisms are in place to integrate uh, different sort of cues, uh, including you know the time of day or the type of um, food that you take in? How does our body integrate those cues into sort of controlling our appetite or controlling our metabolism? Yeah, that's a really outstanding question. And what we think is a different type of protein post-training modification really, really critical uh, uh, integrator of uh, metabolic cues. Uh, for example, like uh, uh, what we know, like MPK is a kinase that would respond to low energy level. Uh, it's AMP, active AMP. When energy is high, a lot of ATP. Energy level is low, you have AMP, AMPK. AMPK is a kinase uh, acted by the uh, uh, by uh, nutrient limitation, and so AMPK can control the circadian clock by phosphorylated circadian clock protein. Uh, so the other metabolic cue uh, is a, a redox level in the cell, uh, like NAD. NAD rich NADH ratio in the cell is really critical. And so we know like uh, there, 
NAD level in the cell control the acetylation of clock proteins. So that's another way that controls signaling clock. So what we just talked about is uh, uh, organ modification of clock protein also uh, 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 also important to integrate metabolic cue, like the one, what I just mentioned. This, uh, this glycosylation in the glucose uh, get into cell, you need to uh, produce like uh, the high energy molecule you typically like in the cell to allow for this modification. And uh, uh, one of the uh, target modification is a, a group of clock protein. That's one way like a nutrient flux can control signaling clock through this uh, organ modification. So what we believe that's a different modification that's really work together to control the, the clock speed. So from what I understand, uh, both transcriptional and post-translational mechanisms are important in regulating circadian rhythms. Um, and a lot of your work focuses on the role of one specific form of post-translational modification, specifically O-gluconacylation. Um, so what is unique about this form of post-translational regulation compared to other um, types of modifications? So you probably heard about uh, the glycosylation in the uh, textbook, about chemistry textbook. But this modification is a unique form of glycosylation. Uh, uh, why call it unique? First, uh, it's attachment of a single anti-glucosine is a monosaccharide to the proteins. And it's not uh, like a sugar chain, it's a single sugar molecule. Uh, second unique part uh, is uh, usually we, what we think about glycosylation that occur in circulated protein or cell surface proteins. But uh, what I'm talking about this modification uh, is uh, intracellular protein modification. Uh, there are a lot of protein in the nucleus uh, in cytosol uh, of some intracellular organelle like a mitochondria. Uh, there are a lot of uh, this lot of protein have this modification. And the third is uh, not like a glycosylation on the surface, like usually the modification is static, uh, stay there all the time. This modification is extremely dynamic and irreversible. It's on and off the protein quickly. So that's a, more like a, the switch that control the cell signaling. So this modification and uh, uh, it's a, you know, there are many other modifications that have been identified. Now you can, uh, people know there are over 600 uh, uh, protein modification, overall we call it protein post-transcendent modifications. Uh, so the clocks go on like phosphorylation, acetylation, methylation, so this glycosylation is, uh, you know, is just uh, one of a uh, player in the whole team. What we believe there's a different modification that work together uh, to uh, coordinate cell signaling, control gene regulation, and uh, they control all the fundamental cellular processes. I guess to backtrack a little bit in terms of circadian clocks and metabolism, could you just speak a little bit uh, for listeners that maybe don't have a background in this? Uh, exactly what that is and how they relate to each other. Yes, so that's back to there to uh, like a, uh, like a six seven years ago, uh, which uh, we actually we, my life have been working on like uh, we are overall we are interested in how this uh, uh, the clock machinery work. We particularly interested in how like, the different uh, protein modifications regulate the uh, their, uh, clock protein function. So. Uh, by that time, like people had been known, like uh, this, uh, uh, like uh, uh, some kinases, like AMPK, can control their uh, 
the selecting clock function by regular phosphorylation of clock proteins. And then what we identified, it turned out that this uh, many clock protein ha- can also modified by their, this acid glucosamine. And then what we further show this uh, this uh, uh, this modification attachment to the acid glucosamine to the clock protein can control the speed of degradation of clock protein. Uh, the final outcome that control the 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 how the speed of, of the clock uh, tickling. So that's how we got into this. Uh, I should mention by that time, like uh, uh, ten out when we published our paper, few other group uh, also published the. Uh, the similar story, they all show that uh, the clock, the, whole, the different clock protein, protein can be modified by acid glucosamine. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, uh, how we got into this uh, link between uh, acid glucosamine modification and the circadian clock. Very cool. So then could you also elaborate a little bit on what the effect of circadian rhythms on O-glucanacylation is and kind of what the role of that is in modulating the circadian clock itself? Uh, so that's uh, this actually we don't still have don't much understanding about that part. So what we know like uh, circadian clock is uh, crucially important and can control different metabolic pathways. So the modification by acid glucosamine uh, uh, on the proteins uh, you need the, the substrate, the crucial substrate for this modification called UDP gluconac. Uh, so this uh, molecule is the metabolized, actually is the second most abundant high energy molecule in the cell, so most abundant ATP. And to uh, produce this UDP gluconac, you need uh, uh, the, a portion of glucose got into the cell, uh, about 5% of glucose was used to synthesize UTP glucose. That's the, the substrate for this enhanced glucose modification. So that's uh, uh, so I should mention like with uh, uh, many metabolic pathways controlled by second clock, and uh, this is uh, uh, the the metabolic pathway that lead to production UTP glucose is not an exception. Interesting. So you mentioned previously. Um, that circadian clocks in different parts of your bodies differ. Um, and from literature, I see also that oglicnac signaling varies between different cell types and different tissue types. Um, so can you talk a bit about how oglicnac signaling, signaling in different uh, cell and tissue types is involved in maintaining metabolic homeostasis? Uh, so that's really the major effort of the lab and the, also other labs work on this oglicnac modification. Uh, so uh, it's really a play of uh, a uh, very specific role in uh, in different cell type and the tissues. So uh, so far we we know for example in liver. So we have know a lot in liver. So liver is organ that uh, is an important organ to uh, produce glucose uh, uh, during the fasting. So that glucose produced in the liver, we uh, uh, that's a pathway to produce glucose called gluconeogenesis. So what I show this uh, uh, this modification is really critical to control the the gene expression that involved that's involved in gluconeogenesis, and uh, so uh, so our recent paper also show that's what the uh, as a, uh, probably know like uh, there's what they call like autophagy. So autophagy is a cellular processes that degrade cellular molecule uh, that's used to, to produce like a uh, uh, amino acids. Uh, uh, glycerol that serves as a building block for the biosynthesis. So 
This is also serves as a subject for glucose production in the liver. So we further, we recently we identified this is a uh, this enzyme that uh, catalyzes uh, organization is really critical player in liver autophagy pathway. That was uh, this really critical to control to initiation of a liver autophagy response to uh, fasting. So uh, that was uh, uh, the the uh, example that how this. Uh, organization work in the liver. Uh, so we uh, we f further show, also show like the, in the brain, this play a very different role. Uh, for example, we recently we show the, this uh, organization in the some neuron called AGRP neuron, like hunger neuron, it really could control to hunger response as a result, the loss of this uh, enzyme, uh, OGT, in the hunger neuron. That's really to uh, their, uh, their uh, conversion uh, from brown fat to white fat. So that was uh, uh, that's one example how like uh, this uh, uh, modification is critical uh, to control neuronal activity as a result to control uh, their, uh, their, their their body fat deposition uh, and 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 uh, and conversion between good fat and brown uh, good fat which is brown fat and white fat is bad fat. Uh, so there are more than uh, there are many other examples to show this. Really, the modification of critical control, like immune response, uh, like uh, muscle metabolism and the, uh, the fat metabolism. So it's critical for virtually all the uh, organ function. It sounds like oglycnac has a really important role in all of this. So, uh, what are the mechanisms in place to maintain normal levels of oglycnac? This is a. Uh, uh, what we believe that was a uh, is a is really highly uh, evolutionally conserved mechanism that can maintain the cellular uh, organic level. Uh, so uh, I should mention this uh, modification is a highly dynamically reversible, which is a uh, addition this uh, organic to the protein is mediated by OGT. So the other protein called OGA is responsible to removal of this. Uh, uh, OGNMOET from the proteins. So there's a, a really there we uh, recently identified there's a really there's an intrinsic mutual regulation between these two enzymes. So that's what was a, uh, so what we think that it was a there if uh, one enzyme is up, the other enzyme will also up, the other one enzyme is down, the other enzyme will be down. So that feedback regulation is really critical to control the cellular organic homeostasis. Then also to follow up on that, what is known about the effect of abnormal levels of oglycnac? And I guess what kind of conditions uh, would oglycnac levels become deregulated? Uh, so that comes down to questions like uh, why this uh, uh, oglycnac homeostasis in the cell is important. So what we believe this, uh, this modification is more like a... Uh, uh, on a system level, it's more like a, it's a buffering, to buffering for the uh, different cellular function, different the, the protein that can control the protein activity, control the protein stability, and there, so, so that was a, uh, so it's like a the safeguard uh, to uh, maintain in a cellular uh, the normal cellular processes. Respond to different uh, 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 in response to different perturbations. So cells, different cell type has experienced a different stress condition, 
like uh, you know, uh, thermal stress, oxidative stress, and overnutrition and the starvation, they're all different kinds of stress. So what do we think this modification in the cell is important to maintain homeostasis to maintain a relatively stable level uh, for uh, provide like a buffering or uh, a cushion for the normal cellular processes respond to different stresses, uh, uh, cellular stresses. So that's uh, how we think about this the modification uh, in the perspective of, you know, uh, a teleological perspective. So disruptions in our circadian rhythms have been associated with a variety of different pathologies, um, including obesity, cancer, cardiovascular disease. Um, what do we know about how oglycnacylation might explain these associations? It's a, this is a interesting and important question. So uh, so if you look at a bit, but look back at the history. Literally, we started like uh, obesity, diabetes, and uh, people study cancer, neurodegeneration. So we are talking different languages, work very different topics. But what I believe this is uh, those the different type of diseases share, share the common molecular underpins. So we the goal is try to identify the molecular mechanism that uh, shared by different diseases. Uh, so what we believe that so this uh, modification is important underline one of the molecular underpins. And so, for example, like uh, what we know that like, uh, this uh, modification, dysregulation modification in the brain uh, contribute to the Alzheimer's disease. And uh, there's uh, in metabolic tissue, like, uh, uh, like for example, edible tissue that contribute to the obesity. And also we know like uh, this uh, modification, dysregulation uh, go wrong uh, lead to uh, contribute to many different type of cancers. So, why this single uh, uh, molecule uh, uh, that's uh, called OGT that catalytic modification is crucially important for different uh, uh, type of cellular function? So, if you really think this is, can be the uh, can maybe the link uh, that can link different type of uh, diseases. Uh, uh, so that's uh, uh, where we see so far. So is the role of OGT right now in different kind of disease sites something that you're currently looking into, something that's exciting right now in terms of what questions to ask? So we are focusing on their, uh, uh, well, um, that's three types uh, of disease focuses. Uh, so we are interested in the glucohomeostasis uh, because the, the body has a very uh a beautiful control system to control our glucose level in the blood for very narrow range. And uh, also the body has a very beautiful system to control the body weight. And uh, so when we eat more, we don't necessarily gain more weight because the body has set point to control the body weight. And so so that's uh, we, we want to understand how the modification, how uh, it's a controlled blood glucose level and the body weight, how dysregulation lead to obesity and diabetes. So the other area we also quite interested is a cancer because we show this is a, we actually we in different mean many human cancer type, we identify the very high level of expression of this enzymes OGT. So we are trying to understand how this uh, uh, alteration of organic level in a cancer cell contribute to the uh, the cancer, the tumor genesis, and uh, the metastasis. Uh, how the uh, uh, simply this uh, how like uh, contribute to the, the the cancer formation. That's really interesting. In terms of what 
you want to look into next for research? Uh, is that something that you continue looking into or is there other uh, understanding of mechanisms and functions of oak-lick nacrylation that you would want to uh, look into moving forward in the context of circadian rhythms? For the secondary rhythm, so which uh, I just mentioned, like uh, we we already understand that uh, uh, partly this modification is a part of this uh, circadian clock machinery. So that control the uh, this uh, that uh, clock protein uh, direct target this modification that control the activity stability of the clock proteins. So. So furtherly, uh, further down, we want to uh, understand that how this uh, uh, modification modification uh, respond to different uh, uh, stimuli, uh, like uh, uh, what I mentioned, like a different type of nutrient, uh, like sugar, what's the uh, what's the fat, and uh, how these respond to different changes, hormonal changes in our body. And uh, so we want to understand the link between the change of uh, of, uh, of metabolic cue and the hormonal cue, how this uh, changes translate to uh, this uh, clock machinery by this modification. Um, so you mentioned previously that many different diseases have common molecular underpinnings, and one of these seems to be the circadian clock and specifically OGT. Um, so what do we know about... Um, how OGT levels might be regulated across different tissue types and how O-glycnacylation might be regulated across different cell and tissue types. Uh, that's a great point. Like, uh, we, I, I just uh, uh, talked about that this uh, modification is play a very different role in different tissues. Uh, so what we uh, current effort we very focusing, uh, interested in is uh, how this modification uh, control the cell-cell uh, crosstalk in the uh, in the same tissue, and how this uh, uh, modification control the crosstalk in the different tissues. So we are getting this uh, topic is very exciting area. So what we uh, as I just mentioned is uh, uh, we have two paper published. Uh, one paper we show there's a uh, this uh, uh, open modification in the uh, in the neuron. That control the the edible tissue function, control the uh, conversion between good fat and bad fat. So that was a uh, uh, one good example, like uh, uh, tissue crosstalk. So we have another paper just published a few months ago. What we show was a uh, this modification that's uh, in the edible tissue is really also important for control our appetite. Uh, so that's, uh, for example, you need this modification. This, uh, this we need this uh, organic transferase that catalyzes modification in the edible tissue to sense the fatty food, to signal to brain to tell brain to eat more. So that was uh, uh, the area like we think that was uh, this modification very critical to can to uh, sense the uh, the nutritional status of a body to coordinate. Tissue-tissue uh, metabolism. So for obesity, I think especially because it is such a hot topic nowadays, uh, you talked a little bit about how circadian rhythms and oclicnaculation play a role in that. Uh, do you think in popular press you hear a lot of the time uh, if you're sleep deprived or you're stressed, like that kind of increases your appetite and that 
might have another kind of roundabout effect in terms of weight. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how circadian rhythms might uh, have a role in that? Uh, so I think that's a, a lot of observation that link to sleep dis- dysregulation and sleep uh, and, and also the obesity and appetite. Uh, so uh, in terms of how the inner working, what a molecular what a molecular changes that link to the sleep dysregulation and appetite. So that's still something the the big question mark. So we really don't know much about that. Uh, so I think that's be the really the uh, one fundamental question we want to ask in the field of uh, not only for the circadian biology field, also also metabolic research field. So. Going back a little bit, uh, you mentioned previously that there are over 600 different protein modifications that are involved in sort of regulation of the circadian clock. Um, so what sort of is the importance of O-glycnacylation in the context of these other protein modifications um, and how might they interact? So that's, uh, the, the best example we know is uh, there's uh, interplay between o modification and phosphorylation. So I should say there are plenty of examples to show that, as we know, this uh, the phosphorylation, uh, one type of phosphorylation is very common, is a, uh, is a, is a, t- is a phosphorylation of serotonin uh, on the proteins. And there, uh, it seems serotonin protein, uh, residue on the protein can also be modified by neck. So the phosphorylation and neck compete with each other. So what is think in that context, uh, there's a, this uh, this uh, they play a, a opposite role. So what is think that's a cooperation between phosphorylation or organization usually control the signaling switch on and off. Uh, so there are also other example uh, we know like there uh, this organization also can uh, uh, help control the protein stability by regulator uh, protein ubiquitination. As we know, like uh, the protein ubiquitination is critical uh, mechanism that control protein degradation. So uh, uh, for example, uh, I just mentioned in terms of circadian clock, uh, there's a glycosylation of circadian clock protein uh, function to protect the uh, clock protein from u- ubiquitination and degradation. So that's one example of crosstalk between this organ modification and the other modifications. And I guess veering slightly away from circadian clocks, what advice for our listeners, uh, many of whom are young aspiring researchers, do you have? <laughs> Actually, it's a bit intimidating to otherwise the listeners. Uh, so there's already been plenty of uh, chicken soup for the soul as, uh, in social media. Uh, what I'm seeing is probably nothing new, uh, like, uh, you know, the Bible verse site, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, circling clock is really the, uh, why we need circling clock, why we need circling clock uh, is really the, is respond to the sunlight uh, to control the, uh, you know, our body physiology and behavior, respond to the light-dark cycle of the earth. Uh, if I have to say something, I would say like, uh, uh, you know, we are interested in obesity and, you know, diet obesity. Uh, so I would say stay hungry. Uh, don't eat a full meal. Eat only 70%, 80%. Uh, 
that surely benefit our body and mind. And uh, more importantly, just stay hungry for your knowledge, you know. Uh, so be, you know, to be open-minded, we know how much we know, but we never know how much we don't know. So that's really always stay hungry uh, So for what we don't know. Um, don't set boundaries. And uh, there's really no boundary in terms of profession or job. And, uh, you know, so it's really like a, the only boundary is your imagination. So in that sense, follow your instinct to explore unknown. Uh, well, that's probably, I want to wrap it, wrap it up, but uh, like I said, I probably nothing new what I talk about. I think that's a really good perspective to have. It's all about lifelong learning. So thank you so much, Dr. Yang. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to join us next month for a bonus episode when we interview Robert Han about self-education. Thank you to the Yale School of Medicine for being a home to the YJBM and the podcast. Uh, thank you to the EICs of YGBM, who are Amelia Hallworth and Devin Wash, the deputy editors for the June 2019 Clocks and Cycles issue are Devin Wash and Ian Gonzalez. And lastly, the podcast coordinator of YGBM is Kelsey Cassell. And thank you to the Yale Broadcast Center for help recording, editing, and publishing our podcast. For more information on YGBM, visit medicine.yale.edu slash YGBM. We love your feedback and questions, so feel free to tell us your thoughts by emailing us at yjbm at yale.edu. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate and share us on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. See you next month for the next installment of the YJBM podcast.